Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. All right, so welcome back to the Swan Dingo Files. My next guest is Stephen Kuhn. He really doesn't need much of an introduction, um, but we're going to go over your what drove you to the military, your success inside the military, and transition, and any advice you have to give, and everything that you're doing now to today. So if you want to go ahead and begin, what drove you to the military? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I was you know, the typical American nightmare. So, you know, I grew up, uh, you know... <laughs> Uh, with different fathers, so about four or five in total. Um, oh, jeez. Yeah, by the time I was 18, I was a loser in high school. I had, you know, I had the mullet, the 1980s mullet. I was, you know, didn't like myself, was loathed, loathed myself. One, I knew that, and, and even then, I knew back then, I said, if I don't get out of here, I'm screwed. Like, I need to get out of here. And mm-hmm. so I got out by joining the military. And when I went when I went into boot camp, I was cocky and you know just a knucklehead teenager. And I'll never forget mm-hmm. I was standing in the reception station of Fort Knox, Kentucky, and I had this mullet, right? And I showed up on a Friday; it was a holiday, so they couldn't cut my hair, so I had to keep it through the weekend. So I had this. It was like a 1980s feathered mullet. It was more like a disco mullet. It wasn't the old, you know, soccer mullet. And uh, Jewel Sergeant walked up to me. He said, "Son, didn't you know you were coming to the army?" I said, "No, I was drafted." You know, that was my first experience with push-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I had a funny time there. But I knew when I sat down in that barber's chair and they started cutting my hair off with that razor, I was like, from here on, it's the me that I decide is me and not what everybody else decides. Because at home, I, everybody knew me as the doofus and the knucklehead and all that kind of stuff. And I believed it. And I knew as soon as I cut, got my hair cut off, that's the new me. I decide from now on. And it's been like that ever since. Nice. Uh, so you said Fort Knox. What, what was your MOS? 19 kilo tanker. Oh, I hate kilos. I'm sorry. I, I'm a Delta. <laughs> oh, I'm a Delta. Delta. Yes. All right, brother. All right. And the old, uh, I heard it, I didn't go through until 2003, but I heard it then. Um, when in doubt, kill a scout from you damn tankers. Mm-hmm. So they used to call us bats, bats, dumbass tankers. Yeah. Oh, we still do. Don't worry. Don't worry. Oh. <laughs> no. Okay. But that's all, uh, yeah, it's all gone from Fort Knox now. It's all at Benning. Um, yeah. So, so uh, what was your first duty station? Uh, my first duty station was Gelnhausen, Germany. It was amazing. It was during the Cold War. So that was 1986, 1986. Uh, and it was funny because I went to, yeah, I know I'm old. I'm 55. And I went to, um, I remember I landed in Frankfurt. And all I knew about Germany was European vacation from Chevy Chase and you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> And so I showed up and I'm thinking, I'm going to see all these like old houses and you know kind of stuff. And we landed in Frankfurt and I looked in the distance and saw all these high rise buildings from Frankfurt. I was like, what the heck is that? Like, you know, mm-hmm. and then we were driving by and I saw the old houses. I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. And then I got stationed in Gelnhausen, which is full of those old houses, like the, the, the wood on it and stuff like that. So I was like, wow, I'm actually here, man, you know? Um, and I, I immediately loved it. I got out, I got off the plane in Rhein-Main Air Force Base and I was like, man, this is home. Like this, I feel really at home. And so I 
en enjoyed it, immersed myself in the in the culture. Um, I was sort of a loner anyway, and so I, I bought a car, which was a Porsche, because back then, the uh, yeah I know back then the dollar was like three or four D mark to the dollar, so whatever cost uh, four hundred euros would cost you know forty dollars or whatever it was. And so, not euros, DMARC. And so, I, I, you know, I, I really made the best out of it. I drove somewhere every weekend. I travel all the time. You know, my girlfriend's outside of the base, like way four hours away. And I just learned German, right? Because I wanted to know uh, what was going on and I wanted to feel the culture. And I absolutely loved it, man. Um, that sounds a lot. That sounds just like what my uncle went through when he was there. He, he was 11 Bravo. Uh, oh, and his first duty station was Germany also. And he was sending stuff home all the time to grandma and she still has some of it. I don't know where it all went. And, um, he just said the price of everything, like he, he was living like a King over there, even for, I think private through E5 he went to. And it was just crazy. Yeah. I was a PFC driving a Porsche, man. <laughs> not going to see that over here. Anymore. No, you're not going to see it. Well, you're not going to see it in Germany either. No. You're not going to see it anywhere anymore. I don't think, um, even here in Turkey where I live now, um cars are about four or five times the price they are in america but food is like 200 times cheaper so it's just this economies of scale all over the planet are just completely screwed up screwed up so anyway back to germany so i got stationed in gelnhausen and i immediately got put into a, a special company which was a nato competition called canadian army trophy 1987 and it's a it's a biannual tank gunnery um competition that the americans had never won since 1962 and so I was trained for that because in boot camp, I was in this program called Excellence in Armor, and I graduated mm -hmm. top of my class and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe not at the top, but it's the top percentage. And um, uh, we trained for this. Uh, we were in the field all the time, meaning we were never on base. So we were constantly in the field. And then we went to this competition and we competed against all of NATO and we won. And to this day, I'm one of 16 guys that's ever won that competition. <laughs> In the history of the of the military, which is pretty freaky, um, and that made us pretty famous. So I got to go to got my first ARCOM on the one year anniversary of me joining the army, <laughs> um, Army Commendation Medal, and um, already had an AAM as well. I got highly decorated uh, for some reason, and um, uh, I ended up, you know, we went met Secretary of the Army, went on TV. It was like it was this big deal because Americans had never won, and it was the same year that we won Boselager which is the infantry cup, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was, you know, I was very fortunate. And then I learned German and I met the mayors of the towns and I got to start translating because I spoke German. Um, and man, I had, I had the best time of my life there until we got sent to Iraq. Um, and it was funny because we heard about it on the news. We didn't hear about it from our mm -hmm. commander. You know, we're sitting there watching CNN, Iraq war, August 1990. It's like, the following units are being deployed to Saudi Arabia, right? you know, for Operation Desert Shield. It was like Third Armored Division, and we're like, "That's not holy shit!" Like no one told us. It was we heard it on CNN, literally, you know. So it was it was it was a trippy time. But um, you know, I went to Iraq uh, with Task Force Eighth Cav, and we uh, we fought in the Battle of Seventy Three Easting, which is to, to that time the biggest tank battle since since World War Two. There was a video game made after it. There's books written about it, all kinds of stuff. I wrote a book about it. It was a bestseller, but only in the German language uh, back in 2003. Um, and I lost a really good friend, um, Sergeant Young M. Dillon. He was artillery um, forward observer. 
um, lost him basically. I was with him when he passed. And uh, that sort of marked me for the rest of my life, that and some other things that happened there. Uh, a little girl that was burnt uh, that I tried to save and just just all kinds of crazy shit that happened in um, in Desert Storm, which is the Forgotten War, so to say. Most people don't even remember it, uh, at least the name they remember. And, you know, I was I was awarded a Bronze Star for my, you know, my participation in whatever happened there. And so I went back and was stationed in... Um, where did I go after after oh after Gelnhausen? I went to Berlin, so I went to Berlin Brigade for exactly well. First of all, we closed Gelnhausen, sent the tanks away. Then I went to Berlin. After a year, we closed Berlin, and we sent the tanks away. Then I went to Schweinfurt, uh, um, which is southern Germany, and I was there for another year, and then I got out, and I stayed in Germany. So I got a European out. Didn't even out process. Didn't go back to the states. I was in my greens. Out process, walked off base, turned around. I couldn't get back on. It was like, you know, it was like I was a civilian overnight. So it was it was quite interesting. So that was how many years did you do in? Seven and seven and a bit. Okay. So when you got out, uh, you stayed in Germany. When did you realize you were going to just stay there? Well, remember when I left, I, 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 I despised myself. I loathed myself. I didn't mm -hmm. like who I was. Like anything. And I was like, I'm not going back until I make something of myself. You know? So I was like, if I stay here or go somewhere else, it doesn't matter. I'm not going back home. But I'm here now. And I had a girlfriend at the time and I spoke the language and it was exciting. And I was like, I'll just stay here then. Just it was more like a it wasn't even a big decision to me. I was like, oh, I'm here anyway, so I might as well stay. You know. Yeah. So being in a foreign country, did you have any struggles with transitioning out, finding a job? I, you spoke the language, so you had a good understanding of the culture already well it, i did <clears throat> and in berlin luckily lucky enough um there was a hard rock cafe and some nightclubs and i just got a job as a doorman you know so uh, as you do in the gulf war or in in the cold war uh there was a lot of fighting right mm -hmm. so a lot of, when you were gi you go to frankfurt and fight with the with the grunts or you fight with the artillery or whatever it's just fights all the time just constantly but it's all we did was fight so when i got out uh, I said, look, I can fight. Let me be a doorman. And so I was a doorman in Berlin, Germany, um, different clubs, nightclubs, like techno clubs, the you know, underground stuff. And we had, we were, we had fights every single night. I'm talking like knock down, drag out, pull your neck, break your, break your ankles, kind of fights every night. Um, and it, <clears throat> it was a way for me to release my PTSD. I didn't know it at the time, but it was, it was me letting go of the anger and the hate and, you know, the, 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 loathing and all these things that I had inside of me from the war that I never really dealt with. And I'm not, I'm not putting a level on this. I'm just saying what it was. Um, and I got to be sort of famous for the guy you don't mess with because I would just, you know, I would, I didn't care. Like I didn't, I, I really didn't care. Like, I mean, I didn't, if you pulled a gun on me, I'd take it from you. You know, like literally I pulled the gun. Someone pulled a gun on me, some knives. I took it from him. Didn't even, didn't even, didn't even, hesitate i don't didn't even matter i had nothing to lose right so uh i had i had, I had a really good time but also got to be really infamous and famous and i had there was some stabbings and some shootings and stuff that i was uh witness to as a doorman in the nights night nightclub scene it's dirty it's all mafia it's all mafia and uh i i was a witness one time to something that happened and the police came and i started talking and uh <laughs> these three guys come walking through the crowd and there was like a hundred people there watching what happened because the guy got stabbed 
uh, the Red Sea part of the people and these three guys walked up in suits and the police left me standing there in the middle of the street and they came up to me and they're like, who are are you? I'm like, nobody, I'm just standing here. Are you a witness? Like, nope, you're a cop. Nope, you work here. Nope. I was like, no, I'm nobody. And they said, bullshit. And I was like, and and they're like, um, our friend was with us playing soccer and they're wearing suits. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, the cops came back. Um, uh, okay. And uh, well, I said, why did you guys leave me? I'm like, um, there's certain people we don't deal with. And Wow. One of the, yeah, I know. It was one of the top mafia guys. Anyway, so they basically uh, said they wanted to meet me. So I met them at a public place in Berlin on the corner <clears throat> of the most highly populated crossroads in the tourist area on a Saturday at noon. Like, I mean, you, can't, you couldn't get more public, right? And basically, they told me, look, man, um, you didn't see nothing. You don't know nothing. You don't know anybody. You can't recognize anybody. Nothing. And we're legit. If you say anything, then there's trouble. I was like, bet. (laughs) I'm done. You know? So when the cops showed me, it was literally, well, those days where they had a book with pictures. Mm -hmm. And they opened the first page, and every single guy that was involved was on the first page. (laughs) And I was like, I don't recognize anybody. Sorry, man. You know? And I walked away with my life and they never forgot that. They never forgot that. They always protected me after that. Whenever there was a problem with one of my clubs, cause I had cocktail bars after that, my own cocktail bars and clubs, they never messed with me until 2008 when another uh, mafia, which was the East German, this, this was the, I don't want to get too involved cause I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but this was the non-German mafia, put it that way. And then there was the German thugs that ran the nightclub scene uh, in uh, in Berlin, in one part of Berlin. So basically, you had to hire them as doormen. If you didn't hire them as doormen, they would take your club from you. So we hired these guys, and then one night there was a, a, there was a scuffle, and they they just they broke my nose, my rib, my I separated my retina, kicked in my eye, broke my eye socket, like just beat the shit out of me. Um, and I was forty years old at that time. This was years later. You know, this was in two thousand seven. Um, and that's when I decided to retire from that, <laughs> from the nightclub scene. In between 93, 94 and 2007, I had three cocktail bars in a nightclub. But I also worked for um, um, a British corporation and where I ran this corporation for 87 locations. I was operations and development for the director for Europe. Mm-hmm. I ran a corporation, 87 locations, 10 countries. I had no experience. But because of the attitude that I had, that I learned when, the, when I was cutting my hair off, I decide who I am. And number two, the the go through the wall or else attitude that I learned in the military. Those are the two reasons I got that job. And I was paid ridiculous amounts of money from a British corporation to have a blast, right? So I had the three bars in the nightclub and I was doing the corporation and I wrote a book all at the same time. So it was like this whole span of period. And it just, it just took off. And the one thing I learned is this, put yourself where you're going to be unique. Like, what's unique about you? If I'm an American in America, I'm just another American. I'm an American in Germany. I'm an American in Germany. Like, oh, who's this guy? Same thing here now in Turkey. Where I've, I've lived in 10 countries. Wow. Uh, yeah, the last country I lived in was Hungary. I still I still have a place there because my kids are there. And I drove, my car has German license plates on it because I still have my uh, my business address in, uh, in in Germany as well. So, you know, I'm and I'm just a regular Joe. I'm nobody like you know special or famous or anything but i got to do really cool things after i got out of the military like i worked for mick jagger as his bodyguard for wow. three weeks it was two and a half weeks when he was in berlin 
Uh, I worked for Andrea Bocelli, which is the world famous tenor, uh, mm -hmm. the blind opera singer. I worked for him for almost two years. Uh, and I had no experience at all. But it was because I knew that I had the ability to deploy my genius in any given situation that I, I would never fail. So I just kept going like that. Maybe it's a little bit of arrogance on my side, but it worked. And then I worked for uh, Olivia Newton-John for three years and took her company from America to Europe and to six countries with a buddy of mine and who became a buddy of mine. And I, all this happened. And then I brought it out in the book in, in about three years ago called Unleash Your Humble Alpha. And that book documents how I was able to do the things that I did. Because everybody's like, oh my God, that's amazing. How'd you do it? No, no, no. It's not really a big deal. It's about living by certain core principles and models in your life and following these models and keeping them non-negotiable in your life. And when you're non-negotiable, you have what? Integrity. If you're... If people know you have integrity, they always come to you and they come back to you for questions, for solutions, for problem, for challenges, all these things. And you become this go-to person of someone they know they can trust and will always tell the truth and will always tell a sort of straight up legit what you're talking about. And that's sort of what I made for myself through the years, because one thing I learned is that if you don't have integrity, you don't have anything, nothing. It's the foundation for any relationship that you have. So that's what I live by. Um, it's called HIT, Honesty, Integrity, and Transparency. It's the first chapter of the book. Honesty with yourself while you say, think, and do like you do. Transparency is how you step into the world with that honesty. And the byproduct is integrity. It's your ongoing reputation. Then at that point, um, integrity makes you authentic. Authenticity allows you to dictate your market value, right? So you can be who you want to be as long as you're congruent with who you really are. And honesty is about being honest to yourself. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why do I think that? Why am I looking at that person? Why does it bother me? What are these things? When you're honest with yourself like that to the outside, you're congruent, right? And so um, these are the things that I live by every day. And once you learn these, you can learn them in a book. Um, your life, you have, you, you, you end up with a, a, what I call an operating system. It's called the humble alpha operating system. So it's just like your, your laptop or your computer. You have an operating system that, that doesn't change. You, you get an upgrade or antivirus or all these kind of things, but your operating system stays the same, right? And this is this is what a lot of people. If I, if I ask you what's your operating system, you wouldn't, you wouldn't tell me what your maybe you're I'm honest and all this kind of stuff. But 99.9% of people I ask never know what they're about. They don't know. Okay, I believe in truth and I'm a Christian or whatever. But what are your personal core values and principles that you live by every single day? Most people have never mapped it out. Mm -hmm. And that's what this does. And then you have your identity, right? So who am I really? Not what do I do? If I ask most people, um, you know, who are you? Like I'm the CEO or I'm the, I'm a soldier or I'm an airman or, uh, you know, I'm a cook. No, that's, that's your job. Oh, okay. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. Nope. That's, that's, a, that's not a, that's not your identity. That's a position in life. What do you mean by identity? Right? So in the first chapter of the book, we go through the whole section there and there's a, Every, every, there's five chapters, five models to live by at the end of every, and every chapter is a few stories, a lesson from that story and the exact action steps you can take to get that out of your life. Um, and not out of your life, get it out into your life, get it into your life. And so like, it, until you articulate how you do what you do and why you do what you do, it's really hard to keep doing it and getting better at it. It really is because you don't have a foundation to start from. I'll do this and I'll do that. And I think this and I think, that. oh, you know what? Um, I can make some money here. I mean, it's maybe not on the moral side of things, but no one will know. Yeah, you'll know. And when you know, you can't step into the world with integrity because you know yourself that you were just 
cheating or doing something illegal or whatever it is. So it takes hard decisions. I turned down 300 grand one time because it just, it was not, it wasn't going to, I could tell there was something not kosher and I, I turned out to be right. But, you know, I turned out 300 grand one time. The guy was cussing me out, you know, and I just, I just had to turn it down, you know, and there's, it, so um, the advice that I always give to anyone is don't lean on your military service for anything. Unless you're an American, you want to be a government contractor. What do you want to do, right? Don't lean on it. The very few people make it to the top of anything as military. They're usually Navy SEALs, someone like Jock, Jocko or whatever, who's like this big to me, by the way. And uh, which when I met him, I was like, dude, I thought you were taller. Anyway, <laughs> and um, make something out of yourself. Find out what your core talents are, what you're really good at, and freaking drill into that and become amazingly good at one thing. And then focus on making that one thing better. Forget about your weaknesses. Everybody says, oh, strengthen your weaknesses. Okay, let me ask you this. You want to spend 20 hours a week working on your weaknesses, getting you from 20% to 30%? Or you want to spend those 20 hours a week working on your strength and getting yourself from 91% to 94%? Think about that, right? So what is it you do best? Do it all the time. Make yourself the best at it. I don't do anything I don't want to do anymore. Like I don't do admin. I have someone to do that. I don't do any of that stuff. Emails, I don't do any of that. My own emails, but no email shots or social media posts. or not. It's all done, outsourced because I'm not good at it. Mm -hmm. So why would I waste my time doing it, right? I'm good at this. I'm good at talking, teaching, training, right? Business advisory is what I do. I help people take their, take their businesses, double their revenue, launch a new product, find their new, do new next big goal and then crush it and scale it and grow and then exit their company or acquire a new company in order to grow the company even further. So that's sort of what I do. I know it was a whole life story right there, but I don't want to... <laughs> Maybe, maybe you have a question from all that I just said. <laughs> no, that, you're definitely crushing it. And that was a lot of good information I haven't heard before. Uh, especially don't focus on your weaknesses. Focus on your strengths and improve those first. Uh, the weaknesses will just come along with it. Um, that's actually something I never even thought about. Because everybody always says focus on your weaknesses and improve those. So no, I never... Why? why? Yeah, no, think, about it, think about it. So I'm a quarterback, Right. And I suck at being, you know, let's say I, I'm maybe my my cardio isn't that good because I don't because I can't run that far. You don't have to run that far. You're a quarterback, right? Focus on your arm. Focus on your pitch, on your throw. Don't worry about your damn cardio. A little bit, okay. Where do you want to focus? You want to get the best at what you're good at. Be the best at what you're good at. That's what it's all about. And when you're the best at what you're good at, it doesn't matter about your weaknesses because no one sees them. They're looking at this. They're looking at that one mm. thing that you do best. You know, and pick a person, a, a person that's good at something. Do you know anything else about them? Do you know anything else about a singer? Unless they're like screwing around and doing some, you know, bad stuff. You don't know anything about them. You just know they're good at that one thing. And th that's what I mean. What are you good at? Focus on that. Create your own personal brand around that and live that. And just live that and be that. I mean, even in the corporate world, uh, you can be, you can be your own brand. I, when I was running that corporation, uh, they called me Captain Coon, even though I was a, a sergeant. But for civilians, captain sounds like a commander. So, And some people call me General Coon. And why was that? Because I was straightforward, hard, uh, hard when it came to keeping your principles in play. Uh, and I was very honest, never got personal, uh, and always kept it professional. And so like, damn, you're like a captain or a general or something. But that wasn't what I was trying to be. That's who I was. You had that right mindset from the beginning, from the day when you said you had your haircut, you've had that same mentality the whole time. Yeah. You got to realize I came 
from a place in high school. I, I, I looked in the mirror every day. I said, you're a freaking loser. That's, I, I said that to myself. I hated my, I hated everything about myself, my life. I hated it all. And that one, that thing, that one, that I'll never forget it. That one action of him cutting off my old uniform, I guess you could say, right? Made me change everything in my life. And I always stuck to that. I never forgot that. And I just build upon it. And so it's something that anybody can do. You can make a, Look, you can make a decision to change every second. You No one's stuck where they don't want to be stuck. You don't have to be stuck. You don't have to be stuck. And I'm not talking about making money and millions and billions and trillions. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living a life, what we call QOL, quality of life. Enjoying every moment of life, no matter the task. That's what it's all about for me. And that means... You know, if I have to move to 10 countries to find the place I want to be, and if I have to get married for a third time to find the woman I want to be with, and that's what I'm doing, you know, and I did actually. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> well, you definitely live uh, probably one of the most interesting lives I've heard of so far. Um, what advice would you have to give me, though, father of six kids, married, coming up on well, 12 years, coming up married with one woman, six children, uh, two to 11 years old is the range. And basically stuck in a rat race right now rat race as far as a job or entrepreneurship uh right now i have a job right now i just start start a new business with my partner uh we do run our a pr firm and create do content creation stuff like that but we're just getting it off the ground um so i'm kind different? of doing both why are you different why are you different than the other agencies uh just because uh for him for us, it's we're different only because we understand how to work all the tools and stuff like that. We don't buy into the algorithms. We don't buy into, you know, we're very honest about everything. Yeah. Um, okay. So we, if I'm a client, if I'm a client, why should I work with you and not with the competition? Yeah. So I'm just I'm just throwing this out there because these these are simple questions that you need to have answers for. And the reason you want to have answers for them is so you know yourself. No, no one will may may ever ask you those questions. But when you know those, that's your statement. That's your branding language, right? Your brand language. I'm not talking about a logo. I'm talking about the language. What language do you use in your brand? What's the one thing that if anybody who works in your company works in your company, if they someone asks you what you do, are they going to say the same thing, or does everybody say something a little different? You know, these things you got to lock them in. Let's like I said, get a foundation built of what it is that you actually, who you are, what you're about, what are your goals, your vision, mission, your vision all your core, your value proposition, if you will, uh, and find out what that is and build upon that. Um, there's, you, identity is everything, man. Identity is everything. Once you know who you are and it changes over, over the years, um, then you can really focus on it. For instance, I, 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 you know, I, I do the exercise myself, in, which in the first chapter of the book, and you come up with this exercise, you come up with a, a two-word moniker that describes your true identity. And at the, t at the moment, mine is the powerful connector. That's my identity. And once I saw that, I'm like, yeah, I am actually. I'm going to focus on just that. And so that's what I started doing. And now I'm making a shit ton of money bringing people together, doing a solar deal with the Turkish government and a solar company, which is listed on the stock market in France. Uh, we have um, some other deals going on. Four deals are being funded right now between uh, 150K and 4 million, getting them funded through people that I met. And all I do is bring the people together. And I accompany the deal. You guys okay? Everything okay? You guys still talking? What's going on? That's all I do. Because I'm the powerful connector. And I focused on that. What is what? It's my strength, right? So why the hell would I go focus on making Facebook posts? 
right? No. Yeah. I have someone else to do Facebook posts. I'm probably, you're probably thinking, well, you, I can't afford to have somebody do my Facebook posts. Well, if you shop around, you'll find somebody who does it for free. I have a guy that does all my Facebook posts. And if we sell anything, he gets 25%. I don't do, I don't do anything else. He does all the copy, all the posts, everything. Right. So there's, there's all kinds of ways out there. You just got to never quit. And I know people hear that all the time, but never quit. And every day you get up, you look in that mirror and you go, you know what? Today's the day. Today's the day. I don't care. Sometimes I get up, I want to stick a knife in my neck and just fucking end it. It's just the way it feels like when you get up sometimes. No reason. Just feels like it. But I know I'm not going to do it because I know today's the day everything could change. Every day I get up like that. You know, and so um, for you, you have a lot to live for, but it's it's never enough unless you have that fulfillment personally. Right? You you personal fulfillment is what catapults people into the stratosphere into the next level that makes them someone their kids look at and go wow dad damn you know what i mean and who doesn't want that i got four kids well two of mine two is my two is my new my my wife's but we have four kids i want them to look at me like that i want them to want to emulate what i'm doing if i'm good at it you know that's my biggest driving force right there are my kids and reason why I started doing this, because like I said, I'm tired of the rat race of being not even a nine to five job. It's a 12 to 16 hour a day job and then turn around and it's like, and don't get me wrong, I'm fine financially, but I can't build anything for my kid, for my kids to pass on to them or give them a better opportunity as they grow up. Because I grew up, you know, I wasn't much different than you, you know. Except instead of a father, a stepmother that was in and out of the house. And, you know, things weren't good there. So we moved around a bunch. Never graduated high school. Military was my only option. Otherwise, who knows where I'd be right now. And it gave me a lot of good, valuable lessons um, that I still practice today. You know, discipline and honesty and integrity. Um, but oh, go ahead. Well, Stephen, um you know, I live for my kids too. Like I, I do what I do for my kids too, but you got to realize until you do something for yourself and you feel that you're not going to be to the level where you could be. Number one, number two is creating something for your children is great on one side, but it doesn't have to be a brick and mortar. It doesn't have to be a business. It can be mm-hmm. wealth building. You can pay into like right now, like I have a plan for my kids that I'm paying into. It's like $50 a month. By the time they're 26, they'll each have a million dollars. Right. And so like, <clears throat> actually, I'm, t- I'm, I'm on a call with him in a couple minutes to do one for my wife. Um, you know, and so like, these are all little things you can do that are just pennies that really make a difference. But it's about the longevity. Wealth isn't built over a day. And if you want to give someone a bit, look, I can tell you right now, businesses will not be passed on right now. There's about um, um, 74 trillion dollars that will be changing hands in the, in the form of a sole business in the next 10 years because baby boomers all have these brick and mortars and businesses and their kids, they don't want them. They want online businesses. They want a SaaS company. They want all this kind of stuff. So all these companies are out there for sale right now and you can get it for no money down because no one's buying the damn thing. So if you want to scale your company, you want to, for instance, if I were you, what I would do if I was an agency like you had right now, I would look for an agency that's looking to sell and I would acquire that company for no money down. And then I would immediately have a company that's already established, has a mailing list and has clients. And I promise you, it's it's out there, 100%. 100%, without a doubt, it's out there right now. Someone who will, you leave them on the company for six months, they help transition over, you pay them out on a deferred revenue, meaning you don't put any money down, you put a dollar down to save on taxes. 
And then you pay them monthly from the revenue until they're paid off and then they leave and you're good. You own the company. So it's like, there's, there's so many seller financing, there's the deferred payments, there's, you name it. There's all kinds mm -hmm. of 16 ways, 16 ways, 17 ways to buy a company with no money down. I need to look into that. Definitely. I, I've Let's heard go. of it. I've Let's heard of talk. it. It's not hard. Let's talk. I have an account accountability call every Wednesday for the last three and a half years on just that. And there's, there's been about a thousand people that goes through my thing. We usually have five to 20 people on the call every, every Wednesday. Can you so send chat. me, do you have a link to that or can you send that to uh, me later let's, on? Let's, let's chat, let's chat or send me an email or something. And I will, uh, I'll send it to you. It's every Wednesday at zero nine hundred uh, Eastern. Yeah. Okay. So I'm in Turkey and typically it's for people who went through a specific course, but I can invite you and say, you're considering going through the course. And you can just want to sit in and listen. And you basically start picking. I, I have another veteran in there as well. He's looking to uh, acquire a company. And he's uh, trying really hard. And he's just sitting there listening and watching and stuff. You'd be surprised. People show up and be like, hey, I got these two companies. One of them I'm going to take. The other one I don't want because I don't know anything about it. Anybody here want it? And then you're like, yeah, I'll take it. And then you just go have a conversation with them. And then if they like you, then you buy it or you don't buy it or you whatever you want to do. There's all kinds of different ways to do this stuff. But the fact is this. You don't know what you don't know, but don't be scared of that. Go out and run face first into the things that you don't know. When I were, when I was working for Andrea Bocelli, um, I was talking to every CEO of every major record label on the planet. I had no idea what I was doing, but it didn't bother me because I knew it was about one thing, me and, me and him, me and her. Person-to-person -person connection. They like me, we're going to do business. If they don't like me, it doesn't matter what I know. Right? It doesn't matter what I know. My knowledge is irrelevant if they don't like me. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Good. <laughs> I, I get exactly what you're saying and this has been very very informative and i appreciate this so much um i am definitely gonna have to talk with you more uh how can people find you uh your website or reach out to you um i best i guess best would be my email stephen at humblealpha.com stephen at humblealpha.com or okay. facebook, facebook instagram stephen eugene Coon, wherever you want to okay he's so. out Right. I take well, all my own calls. I take all my own calls. I do all my own emails. I don't have any really. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I talk to everybody. Well, you might be one of the few that actually still do. So yeah, well, it's important for me because that's that. Look, you got to keep grounded, right? You got to keep and everything that you do in life, you got to keep grounded. And I love that. You know, I don't like like I just gave you some advice there that's worth mm -hmm. a lot. Of money, right? Oh yeah, I do that all the time. Like people get on the call with me. Oh, I can't afford you, but they walk away with two or three tips that will change their life. I love doing that. That's what I live for, man. <laughs> uh, one of the best things about uh, the veteran community I've noticed is that everybody I've talked, <clears throat> everybody I've talked to so far is very informative and want to help each other out. Mm -hmm. um, whether you did four, five, seven years, or fourteen and a half years like myself, and medically retired now. So, but that'll be all for today uh, on the Swandingo files. I know you got to get going. So I know you're a super busy man. Um, I will be in touch here very soon with you. Okay. Um, how far are you ahead of me on time zone? You're in the East coast or where are you? Central Texas. Central. So that's seven. Well, right now you guys went through time. They did like savings. So right now we're eight hours, but it'll be seven hours. No, it's nine hours. Now it'll be seven. It'll be eight hours. Then uh, once we go through daylight savings uh, end of March. Yeah, I think we're quitting daily, daily saving times finally in the United States. Finally. Yeah. I think this was the last one. So. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, they passed it. Turkey. We don't do it in Turkey either. Yeah, I think the United States is the only country that does it. So. No, Eastern yeah. Europe, or Western Europe does it as well. Do they? 
Yeah, I know. Like most, uh, there's a lot of countries. I was in, I was in Morocco, and the whole world changed. The whole everybody around them changed, except for the country of Morocco. And I'm thinking, like, why am I late for my meeting? You know. <laughs> you know <so. laughs> yeah, it was a weird thing living out in Arizona for a couple of years because they don't do it, but yeah. the Navajo Nation does it. They're in Arizona, and it's like where my wife is from, and it's like so now. So I was always getting screwed up with my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and the times over there. It's just like why can't you just be like the rest of Arizona? You're in Arizona. <laughs> Everybody's got to be different. Everybody's got to be different, man. Yeah, it's, damn, damn Navajo Nation's got to do everything different. So, yeah. All right, but, brother. Uh, yep, I appreciate it, and I will be in touch very soon with you. Thank you very much, sir. I got you back, man. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking, and keep swanding going.